Welcome to tonight's episode of the Remso Martinez Experience. Before we get started, I want to go ahead and give a shout out to some of this episode's sponsors. From self-publishing to podcasting and passive income development, I offer ongoing self-development courses at Champion Pundit Academy, as well as one-on-one private consultations to take you from zero to hero in no time. Learn more at championpunditacademy.com. That's championpunditacademy.com. You want to know what you need more of in your life? Politics. Yeah, nobody ever said that. But if you've got to go ahead and spend money on one nonfiction book, it's got to be the ultimate clash of wisdom, awesomeness, and then obviously the politics. But why not a little bit of comedy? Why not a little bit of a memoir? Why not something that's going to make you say, hey, I actually enjoyed reading this. I laughed. I learned something in the process. Check out my book. It's an Amazon bestseller. You may have heard of it. It's Stay Away from the Libertarians. It talks about all the things you think you might know about libertarians, plus a lot of things that I bet dollars to donuts you don't know about. You can get it on Amazon and Barnes & Noble online. So go on right now. You can get it in print or ebook or Kindle or whatever you call it. Just go out and get it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble online today. It's Stay Away from the Libertarians by Remso W. Martinez. Happens to be me. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the one, the only Remso Martinez Experience. I'm your host, as always, Remso W. Martinez. Go ahead and follow me on Twitter at Remso4VA. It's four spelled out, F-O-R-V-A. Follow me there. I'll follow you back. That way, we can go ahead and keep this conversation running. For those of you that have been tuning in the past couple weeks, how are you liking the new daily format? I'm kind of digging it. It's really cool especially our uh, good friends and sponsors at Anchor.fm who are actually empowering content creators to keep fun, entertaining, informative content free for the rest of you. Hey, it's a win-win. I get to do this more often, and you get to hear me more often. Some people might say it's insane that you want to do that, but hey, there are worse things in life. Uh, Here on this show, if you're a new listener, we talk about the impractical things going on in an improbable world. And if you've been following what we've been covering the last couple days, you know that the shutdown is one of them. From BuzzFeed making up stories about people dying in national parks as a result of the over 20 day shutdown to the TSA workers talking about... (gasps) A public sector union and so much more. This has gone from being kind of funny to now it's getting kind of ridiculous. Not that I'm against a uh, federal shutdown. If it advances a good dialogue and it had to be done, that's perfectly fine. But now it's kind of too long and no one really knows what we're getting out of it. And, um, you know, we have not turned into Mad Max's Australia yet, but it. You know, I I don't understand what anyone wants to get out of this. It's either, you know, the Republicans want the wall, the Democrats don't want the wall, and everyone has to suffer in the meantime because of this, especially a lot of um, low-level federal bureaucrats, contractors. And by contractors, it's never the defense contractors. It's people who are custodians, that type of stuff. The low-level contractors who actually do work paycheck to paycheck, over 100,000 of them thus far. It's getting kind of ridiculous, but I won't be the 
only one to go ahead and talk about this tonight. I brought on our illustrious panel to go ahead and hopefully give us a little bit of insight. I'll go ahead and introduce them now. Uh, we have one of the editors from Virginia's own Republican Standard, Alex Lemieux. Alex, welcome to the program. Good evening, Remso. Thank you for having me. And we have the global communications director for Students for Liberty, calling in from North Carolina, ladies and gentlemen, Miss Caitlin Grimes. Caitlin, thank you for joining us tonight. Thanks. Thank you for having me. So, Caitlin, I'll put you on the hot spot tonight. Um, Paul Krugman went ahead and wrote an op-ed saying that this is Trump's great libertarian experiment. Uh, what's up with that? Because I don't necessarily see any good libertarian benefits coming from the shutdown at all. No, not at all. And I always I find it very funny that uh, he's calling it a libertarian experiment, especially since the whole reason for this shutdown is to pay the, you know, uh, what is it, five billion now for the, the steel barrier or the, the, the wall on the southern border. And I, I don't know many libertarians who would get behind that um, on principle, the price tag or the wall. Um, so I think it's First of all, very funny that Krugman's saying it's a libertarian experiment. Um, and then, yes, sometimes libertarians, like, we, we get a little excited when the government shuts down, but I think that's primarily because we're hoping that everybody else will finally, like, see the lights and see, you know, how redundant the government is. But as you said at the beginning, I think it's kind of reached a, a new level of extremes. And I also don't know, you know, many of my fellow libertarians that would rejoice at people, you know, being out of work, not being able to, you know, pay their bills, keep their, you know, house warm during the snow. Um, I don't know many, many of us who would rejoice at, you know, those kinds of things. Yeah. And at, at this point, we've, I think, today marked that this is the longest federal shutdown in U.S. history. Alex, something I keep seeing whenever uh, Chuck and Nancy go on TV is that they keep asking Republicans to compromise, but seems like the compromise they're asking for is that Republicans just give them all of what they want. What's it going to take for Republicans and Democrats to go ahead and get the government up and running again? Because at this point, you know, I could point fingers, but, you know, I think science can prove they're all equally terrible right now. Well, to be honest, I uh, think any deal to be had was really left in Congress when both the House and Senate adjourned uh, before Christmas. I think, you know, Americans should, you know, probably warm to the fact that there was no compromise to be had on behalf of either party. Um, and as you say, you know, yeah, we're now in the longest ever federal shutdown, you know, 22, 23, 24 days, and there has literally been no ground gained by anyone. So uh, to be honest, I, I think this goes through the State of the Union at the end of the month. And as a, as a really a prediction for the next two weeks, I, I really couldn't tell you because nothing has ha happened yet. So. Yeah. And I mean, apart from the immigration issue, which is at the heart of this whole thing, uh, Trump wants to erect his giant brick and steel wall, which on Twitter last night he decided to name Peaches. So it's either $5 billion for Peaches the Wall, which Mark Levin said encompasses 0.001% of the federal government, $5 billion. And what Democrats have offered to do is go ahead and put on some, you know, scary looking fencing and maybe throw some drones out there because that's not equally scary for some people. My thing is this, if we're supposed to learn anything from this, I think the biggest lesson is that, you know, we're, we're dealing with a group of adults that don't want to be adults about the situation. Uh, you know, going back to Paul Krugman's article, um, 
yeah, and folks, I'll go ahead and link to all the articles that we reference in the show notes that you can go ahead and check out after the episode. But, you know, from a libertarian perspective, I, I think if we jump in on the immigration topic, I mean, no one's going to listen to us because of that. But what we have shown in terms of, you know, both a big L and small libertarian front is that libertarians have really kind of come out as the moral bridge in the situation. Strangely, we saw libertarians across the country organizing national pickup efforts. We have libertarians saying that, you know, if Trump were declared national emergency, you know, he has very loose constitutional ground to stand on. And in terms of the TSA, which I went ahead and did an episode talking about the other day, this might be a good opportunity to try and talk about either phasing out the TSA or just privatizing it, which would be a little bit better than having this uh, DHS agency, which is so incredibly wasteful, continue to go ahead and cause people headaches. So, Caitlin, do you see a win-win anywhere in the situation, or do you think the whole argument is lost because of the border wall? Um, I, I really, at this point, I, I don't think there's a win-win situation for, for all involved, because I, I think this whole conversation um, has become a huge mess of virtue signaling. <laughs> um, and, and also, I think there's a lot of people on both sides that are holding it hostage because they're, and I think we may talk about this later, eyeing you know, their own 2020 you know, presidential runs, and they want to be able to have you know, ammo in their back pocket when they you know, make their announcements. Um, I, I mean, I agree with Jeffrey Myron uh, in the article that, you know, he published in his response to, to Krugman that it would be one thing if we had, you know, private entities that could, you know, easily take up these responsibilities. But uh, at this current moment, we, we don't. So there's really not any win-win unless after this shutdown is over, maybe we, you know, start rethinking of having those, those safeguards in place. Because I think it's particularly telling that we've had, I think, more shutdowns in the past, like, eight years than we had like the 10 years previously, government shutdowns are becoming more and more, um, I guess, useful as a tool, a political tool. Um, and I think if this is going to, you know, continue on the you know, same trend, I think it's time that we start taking lessons from these government shutdowns. But if that can't be done, then I, I don't think there's going to be a win-win. I think it's going to, at least for the libertarians out there, every time a shutdown, you know, happens, we like watch with bated breath, right? That, you know, something, <laughs> something is going to result from, you know, people seeing how uh, wasteful and redundant various aspects of the government are and how they can, you know, be done much, much better in, you know, the free market. But, uh, if any, if time is told from the previous government shutdowns that we've had in the past few years, I, I'm not extremely hopeful for that to happen. <laughs> Alex, Caitlin brought up something that makes a lot of sense. You'd think, just as anything else in the world, that when people make a mistake or something bad happens, they learn from it. But she also mentions that a lot of people might be, you know, posturing themselves to use this as political theater to go ahead and advance their own agenda. So nothing is going to be learned because everything and everyone is a tool in the game of politics. Do you think that this whole shutdown is helping President Trump when it comes to his 2020 as you know aspirations or do you think it's actually harming him? Well, I, I think any lesson that we have learned from any previous shutdown is that they're all fueled by pride, and the only losers are all of us, those not sitting on the proverbial cushion. Um, for for Trump and, and how this affects him in 2020, I think, to be honest, this isn't that big of a deal in a year from, from now, because I, I think right around springtime uh springtime in 2020 uh we really start to see the effects of the encroaching 
global recession, you know, that and which is fueled by tariffs, which is fueled by the Chinese ho- uh, the downfall in the Chinese housing market, the European economy, all of that. So I I think for for Trump's base, they can probably see a little light at the end of the tunnel with the president on that aspect, but I think I I I think this shutdown is entirely lost. You know, I think it could have been handled entirely differently. You know, you, you talk about this uh, five billion in border wall funding, and while while it's a drop in the bucket, um, in terms of the entire federal budget, I don't think it's been treated like that because it, it could have very well easily, if if we really wanted it to be built, you could throw it in defense spending. You can throw it in infrastructure without, you know, having an, an a, a partial government shutdown. So. I mean, we waste money on a lot of stupid shit and mm-hmm. five billion. You know, some people hear that and they're like five billion dollars. But when it comes to the federal government, that's chump change. So, you know, part of me is thinking, oh, Trump, the real estate developer, he must have found a really, really cheap contractor to do that, which, for the record, might be hiring Mexicans to build Peaches the Wall. But, (laughs) Alex, to kind of throw this back at you real fast, then we'll get over to you, Caitlin, in just a moment. You know, looking at what happened in Virginia recently, um, you know, right now, when you look at a good chunk of the federal workers that are working day in and day out, they live in Northern Virginia and Northern Virginia rejected the Republican party, like a, you know, a pimp slap during the midterm elections. Do you think this has also caused Virginia Republicans like to lose more ground than they already lost? Or is there some type of, you know, way that they could possibly spin this in the future? Because I don't see anyone disavowing it. I don't see anyone trying to really encourage it. I'm just hearing a lot of silence right now. I think you're right. Yeah, there there really hasn't been much going on, at least at the state level uh, with this, because, well, we, we can't really deal with immigration too, too much. But yes, I I think if Republicans do not want to absolutely completely lose Northern Virginia and have it harden even more further to the left, I think I think uh, the Virginia GOP needs to really get out front on 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 this. You know, I I think it'd be a great bounce back from what they had with uh, Corey Stewart, the Senate nominee. this past election cycle and really start to talk, uh, talk about a topic that is actually grabbed the nation by, by a storm. I think it was a AP North poll that came out the other week that said immigration will be probably one of the biggest one, two or three topics that will really, uh, dominate, uh, the, the next two, two years in, in the politics, uh, as so far as legislation, that could come out at the state level. Um, I think Republicans will um, will have to battle uh, against some of the uh, rank and file Democrats who are proposing um, uh, giving uh, drivers licenses to undocumented immigrants, uh, having in-state tuition for them, which is coming uh, specifically from the new state senator uh, Jennifer Boisco. So I I think they'll have to battle at least a little bit on the state level with immigration, but they really should get out front nationwide on it. So, Caitlin, I'm a little less optimistic than Alex when it comes to Republicans' attitudes towards immigration and fiscal policy at both the state and federal level. I mean, I just have no faith in them at all. Sorry, Alex. But (laughs) when it comes to anybody, I mean, 
I, I, you know, the Justin, the Moshes, the Thomas Massey's, the Rand Paul's. I know that they've been out actually talking about, you know, hey, let's treat this like adults. Let's look at the fiscal issues that are causing this to happen. Let's look at immigration, you know, without wanting to kill each other. Has there been anybody that's, you know, kind of popped up on your radar as a voice of reason or has everyone just kind of jumped on the partisan bandwagon? Because now you have Mark Meadows, a man who I deeply admire, now saying that we're going to use asset forfeiture funds to go ahead and build the wall. And that's just no bueno, especially coming from the guy that's in charge of the Freedom Caucus. So he just pissed off a lot of people with that. Is there anyone that kind of pops up on your radar as, you know, someone that's like, hey, that person actually makes a little bit of sense when it comes to this? Um, off the top of my head, I mean, you mentioned the three that I, I, I would, you know, mention like right off the bat. But as you said, they usually come at it from a, a fiscal angle. Um, other than those those three outstanding, you know, defenders of liberty, I, I can't really think of anyone on, on the right, at least that, you know, when they stand up and speak about immigration, at least, the, you know, the political camp that I come from, you know, would take notice of. And I always I find it really ironic that Mark Meadows, you know, supports asset for forfeiture, especially with the Supreme Court case that, you know, uh, Garland and a few others just commented on, and that's being debated at the Supreme Court. Um, but in terms of immigration, I think it's just a bunch of rhetorical battling right now. Um, and I, I have to say, even on the topic of immigration, I'm not hearing from Amash, Rand, and Massey as much as I would hope to hear from, particularly Rand on his, uh, he used to be a pretty tall uh, person for immigration back before Trump was um, president. But I, I think it's kind of telling that he's- I mean, he was also running now. for president, so it kind of helped him to be tall on those things. Yeah, it's just a little, you know, I want to say, like, depressing uh, to see that he doesn't make the same stance, even with, you know, Trump being in office. Um, I think they've become rather quite good friends uh, since the 2016 presidential election. Um, I don't know what kind of trouble that, that might mean. But, uh, no, I can't think of anyone besides those three. And even those three, I haven't heard as much as I would like to hear from them on this issue, particularly around the government shutdown and building the wall. Um, so... Yeah. No. And, and going to immigration and I'll, I'll let you know, I'll just leave the floor open. So anyone can jump in once I kind of throw this out there. But like I, I come from a border state. In fact, I come from a border town. The joke growing up used to be in my hometown of Sierra Vista was that you could spit off your front porch and you'd hit Mexico. Uh, things were good for a while until the cartels like the Sinaloa drug cartel and El Chapo's crew really started, you know, literally cutting heads off and leaving them off the side of the road. And, you know, as much as I and I mean, I I joke about this, but I'm like dead serious. I've like never seen a homeless Mexican in my life. And I've traveled all over this country. I've never seen a homeless Mexican. I've seen a lot of homeless white people. I've seen homeless black people. I saw a homeless Asian guy the other day, but I've never seen a homeless Mexican. And just growing up, even before I moved out to Virginia, like these people work and they don't even really want to be here. They just know that there are better jobs here and they could send money home. And eventually their goal is to go back. Um, it wasn't until the last time I went to Arizona about a, about a year ago that I was going to take my girlfriend's hiking. And we saw along the trail a giant sign put up by Border Patrol that said, once you pass this point, the U.S. government can no longer guarantee your protection. And we, it wasn't even like in Mexico. You still have about 10 miles between that sign and where Mexico started. So here I am. I'm taking my own life in my own hands. I'm entering upon American territory, which the U.S. government has, in essence, conceded. So mm -hmm. when it comes to this issue, do either of you think that the wall or 
Do, do you think the wall is a distraction or is there something bigger at play here? Um, if you, sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, I, I truly think that the wall is the biggest example of virtue signaling in our political <laughs> theater today. Um, I'm it's just weird not- hearing that aim towards the right, but that's perfect. I'm, I'm sorry. Please continue. <laughs> oh, sorry. Like I just, uh, I just, in, I just struggle to see how a steel barrier is really going to combat the real issue down there, which, as you mentioned, is primarily the cartels and I guess now the caravans. Um, and I would almost say that the reason we're getting hit with so many caravans is because Donald Tr- Donald Trump takes the bait on this um, and you know uses it for PR fodder. But I, I'm just not convinced that a steel barrier is going to, you know, get to the root of the issue that we have here, which is, you know, uh, the cartels, uh, which I would even argue that the reason we have the cartels is because of our failed war on drugs. And I, I see this wall as kind of like them trying to say, like, we're fixing the issue that we started. But I'm just I don't have high hopes that it's actually going to going to, you know, prevent less dr- illegal drugs from coming into the country prevent, you know, more illegal immigrants from crossing, uh, you know, anywhere on the border. I'm just not convinced uh, that it's going to actually do what Donald Trump says for the president says it's going to do. And I think it's a, a five, like I said, a five billion dollar virtue signal is what I is what <laughs> <laughs> Alex. love that phrase. Um, I I agree. Uh, to be honest, I what I the hell? You're not supposed to say that. Explain. <laughs> no, I I do, because I, I think there are a lot of different issues, well, similar issues, but in individual issues here at play. We, we, I, I think as a, well, rather the Republican party has to understand that you can be opposed to the cartels coming in and beheading people while welcoming people who are also running from, from that, Agreed. You know, whether, whether it also be economic issues as well, because, you know, we're the United States of, of America, we have, I think, a moral duty to welcome people who who will come here and do good deeds, work hard, what have you. Uh, in in terms of how you solve the problem, one interesting thing that I I've I've seen is a I don't know if you would call it a deal yet, but um, the United States government sent I think about around about ten billion to. Mexico and the uh, and Central America, in tandem with something the new Mexican president is doing mm-hmm. in uh, certain regions of Mexico, rebuilding in infrastructure, uh, creating I think around about two hundred to four hundred thousand jobs to basically act as an as a uh, if you call it a, a job market barrier to to people flooding through. Mexico into the, to the, to the U S. So I, I think, um, bilateral international, uh, agreements will, will help this problem. I, I think the wall, I think that could have been marketed a little better if it was something different. Are you telling me that calling it peaches was not good marketing? (laughs) Well, I, I think, I think just 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 the fact that it's just a wall is not very good. It's I, not just the I, wall. It's peaches the wall, Alex. Talking points, <laughs> they matter. But you but you see what 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 I would have liked like to have seen back back uh when Trump was running and I I, I think during his first year presidency, uh, he wanted 25 billion. And I thought to my myself instead of just doing a wall, 
which which you know sounds sounds like we're in the 13th century again. Why not build a great southern highway, a big tall hot highway that can actually act as transportation infrastructure used by both the U.S. and Mexico as over one million dollars worth of trade goes across the border every day. It could work for the both of us. Mm-hmm. But, I'm actually. Oh, sorry. Well, no, I I, I was going to say, but. The U.S. government really isn't in the game for solutions. I mean, Peaches yeah. the Highway just doesn't have a really good ring to it either. You're right. It, it, it doesn't. It doesn't. And it, and it doesn't combat that narrative that, you know, we have criminals and, you know, people who wish us harm. You know, we don't want to give them a highway, right, to come into the United States. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm actually of a mind that there's actually uh, another kind of like policy issue going on that I think would actually hinder the cartels far more than a wall. Um, and it's finally starting to get picked up a little bit more by uh, some individuals on the right. And that's actually like cannabis legalization. Um, a lot of people don't pay attention to you know this issue abroad, but with Canada legalizing it and with this new president in Mexico coming in, their courts, their um, I guess the, their version of the Supreme Court actually just decided that uh, their ban on cannabis was unlegal. So recreational cannabis actually became legalized, I think, a, cu- a couple of months ago in Mexico. That uh, the Mexican, the new Mexican president has uh, showed his support for this policy issue because it will de- essentially start the process of defunding the cartels when you open the, you know, the cannabis space up into a legal free market. And I think if we're truly trying to get rid of the issue, uh, I would be way smarter to bankrupt them than to build a wall I and agree. save us a lot more money. Yeah, Alex, I want to throw this to you. I think, you know, if I have to give and I'm talking Virginia Republicans specifically, when you look at the likes of, uh, you know, Delegate Nick Freitas and others, I think Virginia Republicans are actually leading the way nationwide for, you know, providing the examples of what common sense drug reform looks like. And I, I forgot who it was last week, but there's actually a Republican delegate that has actually endorsed the idea of full on marijuana legalization. Yes, it was. Uh, it, uh, I'm not sure. Sh- I, I know. Uh, what is his name? Uh, delegate uh, Heretic. He's actually a Democrat. His name is Del- Wait, his name is Delegate Heretic and he's a Democrat. What was I yeah, reading? Yeah, Steve. <laughs> my bad. My bad. Oops. But uh, I I agree. You know, I, I think. The con the con the concept of the legalization, especially of just marijuana. I mean, that's 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 just sheer simple economics in 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 deterring narco terrorism. You know, I and I and I think we can learn lessons honestly from the war in Afghanistan. You know, had we gone in there and burned the poppy fields, would we be having such a problem with uh, ISIS and the Taliban being being as well funded as they are? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I mean, you, you bring that up as a great example. Um, and this, you know, I'm, I'm going to bring up a story that also that ties in the drug, the whole drug gambit to immigration. But, you know, I, I like to use Virginia, not just because, you know, Alex and I are here and we have a majority Virginia audience. But I mean, Virginia definitely does lead the way in a lot of national politics. And mm-hmm. the thing is, like 2017, during the governor's race, what we saw 
as the main talking points were the fact that during the Obama administration, when one of the caravans from El Salvador came over, they brought over several thousand of these, quote, children. Now, at the time, what was I seeing on the news? I'm seeing five-year-olds and toddlers and little kids who have just, like, somehow wandered into America. Later do I find out, as I come home from my first college break, that they're being held in Manassas and these children are like 30 years old. So it also kind of freaked me out. And then (laughs) right before I graduated from college, somehow the children escaped and they also happened to be part of MS-13 and they were cutting off heads and leaving them in downtown Lynchburg, the second most church city in the world. So that kind of freaked me out. So here we had this issue where, you know, we're, we're having this very schizophrenic immigration policy from one administration bleeding over to the next, along with the fact that apparently, I don't know if anyone else knew this, but uh, Americans like drugs, and these cartels are really good at giving it to them. So I don't think that anybody, Democrat or Republican, has really just come out and said, you know, I'd like to congratulate the winner on the war on drugs, and it happens to be drugs, and we might as well talk about this, because you can come into my neighborhood in Fairfax, which is very affluent and white-collar, and if you were to put drug-sniffing dogs on the loose, they'd basically be going house-to-house here. (laughs) I I don't think anyone's talking about it. Uh, Caitlin, as we start to advance closer to 2020, do you think the adults are going to come to the table and say, hey, let's actually talk about legalization and decriminalization seriously and more than just, you know, Bernie Sanders sending out a tweet, let's legalize weed and that's it? So I, I actually think that cannabis with the right people behind it can actually become one of the big issues in 2020. And I, I think I just pay, I pay very close attention to the specific issue. And I think there's a, a few I guess, factors to take note of. First off is last year, the for the first time in the history of the Gallup poll, I think it, and I could be misquoting the percentages, but I think it was- I thought a Democrat was a Republican earlier. Misquote all you want. <laughs> you have an indulgence there. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm, I'm going off memory. I'm pretty sure that the Gallup polls showed that 67% of Americans supported medical cannabis, or excuse me, that's backwards. 87% supported medical cannabis Damn. and 67 for the first time, 67% supported legalizing recreational cannabis. For the first time ever, the majority of Americans, at least by the Gallup poll, said that they you know, were ready for you know, cannabis to be legalized. And, of course, we also see it happening by ballot initiatives and you know, uh, on state ballots. But then also we have, you know, like Chuck Schumer, Cory Booker actually getting legislation onto the House floor to be discussed, like Cory Booker's Justice Act, which has always been the issue with getting cannabis legalized in the past is actually getting it to the floor. Was that Um, was that the one that included just decriminalization of Schedule One drugs or was it like the the diminishing of mandatory minimum sentencing for nonviolent drug related crime? The Justice Act included a a lot of those things. It it support it wanted to legalize recreational cannabis. And then it was also going to do the same thing that happened in California after they legalized and forgive all nonviolent offenses back to 1970 on the federal level, which would have been a game breaker. I know a lot of, uh, you know, people who have felonies and can't vote who would, I know probably vote for Cory Booker if he gets that act passed. Um, I have suspicions that he's got a 2020 bid um, in the near future as well. I mean, he is Spartacus. Um, Yeah. So I I, I actually would say that cannabis with, the right discussions could become a very important issue in 2020. And uh, another reason I'm excited about it is because we do have more Republicans coming out and, you know, at least being willing to have this discussion. And Massey, Rand, and Amash are not the only ones willing to do it. So I think that's very 
very telling. I think we're approaching a, a very pivotal turning point in terms of the war on drugs. Because um, I think once, you know, we get it legalized and we start defunding the cartels and we see all, you know, all the good that can come from, you know, helping people who have drug problems and, you know, allowing them to make choices for themselves and not filling prisons with, you know, nonviolent offenders, I think it's going to be a game changer, not only for immigration, but for criminal justice reform. And I'm super excited that we have more Republicans talking about it. And Alex, she brings up a great point, which I, I greatly, you know, greatly expects us to, you know, really start talking about in the future. But, you know, I, I, I am at the end of the day, people ask me what party I'm with. You know, I, I am a Republican. Uh, I'm not a great conservative by any sense of the word. I, I am a philosophical libertarian. But at the end of the day, I'm a Republican because I think that, you know, if I've got pick and choose, especially where I'm at, Republicans are selling more of my, you know, game at this point. I, I, I kind of dig their jive a little bit more. But at the end of the day, I still see a lot of older Republicans that look at the drug issue, and it's not that they don't even want to talk about it anymore. It's just that, I mean, they just put on their blinders. Do you think Republicans are waking up to it? And if so, do you think that more more of this discussion is going to have to come from younger Republicans like you and I? Jeez. Um, well, I, I think... If you get fired for this question, I am so sorry. <laughs> no, no, that, and, and, and no, and and that's okay, be, because you know, I think politicians really, on this issue and probably near probably all others, they need to get away from the party line and do what's correct, do what's right. You know, for for example, yes, on the uh, legalization of marijuana, it's we. I think gone are the days of old where, you know, the devil's lettuce is corrupting the the youth of the nation. Good people don't do marijuana. <laughs> reefer madness. <laughs> yes, reefer madness. Yes. You know, we're, it's that's that's done. It was it was it was a it was a very sad moment in our history, among others. But I, I think we just need to be real with our with ourselves. You know, if if we fix this issue, we can we we can touch policy and criminal justice reform, funding programs to get people off drugs and, and not and not just locking them in boxes for the rest of their their, their lives. Mm -hmm. I think it's really I I think you re Republicans especially need to play more of the moral card against what they have traditionally done in going, you know, we're the moral arbiters of society. We we hold we hold this tra this tra tradition of not doing drugs so so dearly, but we see now that it's not as bad as we thought it was. And even if it is, instead of locking people up, we need to reform pe people. Mm -hmm. I think I think this is one of the points where we need to build people up and not tear them down. And I think if the Republican Party can do that, they will they will look much more inclusive, which is, you know, to be honest, is something that the party's lacking. Yeah. Right, right now. Yeah. And I, I would actually say that would go miles for helping the Republican Party's image because cannabis legalization has traditionally been seen as like a, a social issue owned by the left. And if the Republicans could come out in front of this, like it would forever change the perception of the Republican Party. And I, I tell my when I talk to my very, very Republican parents about this issue and they're like, oh, nothing's changing. The kind of like uh, I, I don't know the analogy or metaphor that I like to you know, tell them because, you know, I work in communications 
is can you name the last time that a Republican went on TV and started decrying cannabis? If you look back through like, you know, the media records, it's been at least a year and a half since a Republican has gone on TV and, you know, decried cannabis and all, all these kinds of things. So I think it's telling that the Republicans, you know, finally know that like they're on the wrong side of this issue and that they continue to be the voice of, you know, imprisoning people for a nonviolent choice. Um, they're going to come out on the losing end. I agree. And I, I, I think where we really differentiate uh, the Republican Party differentiates themselves from the past is even even if you are against smoking marijuana or, or any drug in per, in per, particular. And obviously, if someone does that, that person must need, you know, punitive measures taken uh, against them. Right. You know, let's let's teach them the right way. Mm-hmm. You know, let's not just punish them. I, you know, if you if you need that, then that's fine. But then they're going to enter society again at some point. So let's right the wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you, you brought up something which uh, is ironic because I, I was watching Firing Line with uh, Margaret Hoover the other day. And, you know, when you go back to Firing Line's history, when you look at William F. Buckley, the founder of National Review, I mean, one of the biggest things that National Review was founded upon in their manifesto is they need to stand athwart history. And you look at uh, Buckley, who was just a really, I mean, he was strange, but I mean that in a good way, because he was a neoconservative anti-communist. He was an Austrian free market libertarian. And in some ways, he was just a less preachy Jerry Falwell on social issues. So somehow he was able to make all of those things kind of come together. But even right before he died, he came out in favor of marijuana legalization in the early 2000s. So I think that when it comes to just issues and you take the politics out of it, people really want to just see things get done. And when you take away the labels, it just makes more sense. And we only have about 10 minutes left on the show. I kind of want to discuss about, you know, I just kind of want to discuss this idea in practice. You know, Tulsi Gabbard just announced she was running for president Mm -hmm. on Friday. And I know a lot of libertarian and Ron Paul Republicans that like the fact that she's in there and she's actually going to be adding to the discussion on civil liberties and foreign policy. And I don't know if anyone's gone primary Trump. I'm, I keep hearing about Larry Hogan from Maryland and John Kasich and Jeff Flake. But if we want to just talk about issues and we want to shift that Overton window over a little bit towards more liberty, I've been telling people, and just as a suggestion, why not vote for her in the primaries, even if you don't want her to win, so at least we're having this discussion and debate? Do you think people are more willing to focus on more of the issues and solutions and less of the politics, or do you think we're not really there yet, even in 2019? Uh, Caitlin, I'll throw this to you, and then we'll go to Alex. Yeah, I mean, this just is an issue that I think all, all three of us will understand is, you know, there's a difference between people who have skin in the political game and, you know, understandings of the true nature of, you know, political theater and all, all of that. And then you have the the regular layman, right, who gets most of their politics from the news and around the dinner table. Um, so I think that that solution might pique people like our interests, because I mean, I definitely see like that as like a very viable solution. Um, you know, having, you know, Tulsi go up against Trump on the, the civil issues. And I would be particularly interested to see them go head to head on foreign policy as well, even though I think some of her foreign policy uh, positions might bite her in the 2020 race as well. 
Um, but I, I would definitely, out of everybody that I've seen come out on the left so far eyeing presidential bids, I definitely think like she would be the best one to have a very fruitful and effective discussion in 2020. Um, now, if we're actually going to get that, I don't know. Um, I personally don't think many people are going to, if anybody's going to primary Trump. Um, but on the left, I, I definitely think that Tulsi Gabbard probably has the best position uh, to hold a an effective conversation with Trump in the, in the 2020 race. Now, Alex, before I get to you on this, Republicans do have kind of a handicap because when it comes to open primaries and when it comes to things like Operation Chaos from 2008, we saw <laughs> that when you go ahead and sometimes vote for the person that you think is the most beatable person ever, they happen to be Barack Obama and then we have them for eight years. So where do you, where do you kind of stand on this whole idea? Is it just the issues or do we just need to also just remember at the end of the day, it's better to have your guy than the other guy? Well, I think we've all seen how that works. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest with ourselves, whether you whether it's what you wanted or not. Um, you know, uh, uh, Tulsi Gary, you see, I, I really had never heard much from her until yeah, until she had announced because. You know, my opinion on the Democratic bull, bullpen for, for 2020, which gets longer by the minute, um, I I started to think really the only person that had any inkling of a chance, well, not not a chance, but actually a good candidate was Joe Biden. Problem is, he's oh, too creepy old. Uncle Joe the molester. What? <laughs> I'm but just there's I'm a political just... capital though, is right. <laughs> What's that? In terms of political capital, though, you're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah, well, but it's yeah, like it's, it's like it's like pointing to the guy that was like, you know, if we're going to hire a truck driver, we might as well hire the guy that has a license. And then you look at him. And it's like, but, dude, you, you ran into a bus with a bunch of children and it landed on an oil field and it blew up. And then it set, you know, flaming balls of fiery children into like a animal shelter. Like, I, I, I don't I don't get why people keep throwing Joe Biden out there because it's like, oh, well, we need to hire the person with business experience. It's like, oh, let's hire the guy that had 20 bankruptcies. I, I just I, I, I can't follow it. Well, honestly, the, the, the only reason I think Joe Biden would be a good choice for, for the Democrats is looking more into the future. You know, I, I was worried about the pendulum swing. You know, mm-hmm. Obama gave us Trump. What will Trump give us on the exactly other side? Kanye? You know, and I think uh, going back to uh, Gabbard, um, I was yeah reading uh, just you know reading her positions and what she she's done. I the only the one word that comes to mind is interesting. Mm-hmm. And the most recent time we saw this interesting was in 2016 with Donald Trump. You know, we're we're. Regardless of what you thought about him, he was interesting. He was something we really hadn't seen before. You know, someone from the outside with a chance. While while she's not from the outside politically, she's from the outside on the issues. Yeah. You know, and and I think, you know, even 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 though I you know I'm, you know in the Republican party, you know, I would like to see her, like you say, you, you know, stay in for, for a, a, a while to, to really bring newer topics to the table. Not, not, not so much newer topics, but, but things that aren't talked about, you know, new not, not just the, what's that new perspective. Yes. Yes. Yeah. New perspectives. Yeah. It, yeah on issues that are, you know, that, that had been tra- traditionally do- dominated in, in a not so great way, like marijuana, even 
foster care, other other stuff. Um, but I, yeah, I just I think she's interesting. Uh, on the Republican side, I, I think if anyone tried to primary Trump, it would it would be a failure for both, you know, whomever that would be and Trump. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, folks, we have come to the end of the show. Uh, just, you know, any final remarks, anything you want to pitch and folks don't just end right now because Caitlin has something really awesome that she wants to go ahead and share with all of you that could actually provide you with an amazing experience this upcoming week. So Alex, uh, you know, what are your final thoughts on the conversation? And if anyone wants to reach out to you and keep this discussion going, how can they do so? Um, final thoughts. Um, let's see. Not a fan of Peaches the Wall. <laughs> yeah, not really a fan of, of uh, Peaches the Wall. I, I think the one thing I, I would really like to grab a, attention to is the fact that regardless of your political position on the issues or the, or the policy, you know, this government shut down, we don't, we don't need them. You know, I think back to Paul Krugman's, you know, this great libertarian experiment, I think Paul Krugman Krugman is commonly facetious. But I think it it does give us a good lesson of even though 25 percent of the federal government is shut down, you know, are there people dying everywhere and planes falling out of the sky? No. However, it's not good to hold it hostage for something that's I think a drop in the bucket. Very true. Very true. So Caitlin, uh, you're going to be in my neck of woods this upcoming week and folks, I'll be at the same place. What are we talking about? We are talking about Liberty con 2019 DC and the federal government may have shut down, but we're going to be at the Marriott partying like it's 1776. Caitlin, what do you have for the audience tonight? Well, as you said, LibertyCon, which is Students for Liberty's flagship event, um, we bring you know fellow Liberty lovers from all over the world. So there's going to be attendees from every inhabited continent coming into D.C. for this amazing event. We're going to have really big speakers. We've got Steve Forbes coming. We got Congressman Amash coming. Uh, former VP for the Liber- uh, candidate for the Libertarian Party, Bill Weld, is coming. Um, we've got tons and tons of speakers, tons and tons of breakouts. We're going to have socials. Uh, like you said, we're going to be partying like it's 1776. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it starts this Friday. Um, it goes Friday to Saturday. Um, and I've actually got an awesome uh, discount code for everybody who's listening in. If you, use the co- if you use the code New Year's, all one word, you can get 40% off your ticket. So I'm hoping that puts it everybody in everybody's price range. But I would really love if all of the listeners could, you know, come join, uh, hear some amazing speakers talk about, you know, liberty and current issues like universal basic income is going to be debated. Uh, Jeffrey Myron is actually going to be uh, debating that against uh, another 2020 hopeful, Andrew Yang out of California. Um, but yeah, so use code New Year's, all one word, and get 40% off your registration and come party with us. Awesome. And folks, I will be including all of that in the show notes, just as everything else we discussed tonight, I'll be including in there. Uh, Caitlin, Alex, thank you both so much for coming on the program tonight. It's been an absolute blast getting to talk to both of you about this 
Uh, the strange issue. Never in a million years I ever think I'd be asking your opinion about Peaches the Wall, but here, here we are. And folks, let's keep this conversation going. Go ahead and send this episode to a friend. Talk about it with your Marxist aunt and your neo-Confederate uncle. Maybe you can go ahead and bring a Corey Stewart supporter and a Tim Kaine supporter to the table and say, hey, let's talk about weed for a little bit. But until next time, follow me on Instagram, Facebook at Remso4VA, and... I'll I'll be here. Hopefully you'll be too next time. This is the Remsa Martinez experience. Take care. Man.